the biggest lessons that he learned from Kobe Bryant and Kevin Durant. How to raise your game to the next level. How to not let your emotions dictate how you show up in the world. How to alleviate and manage stress. And so much more coming right up. This is episode number 390 with keynote speaker, author, and performance coach, Alan Stein Jr. Hey, what's up, everybody? And welcome back to the Best You Podcast with me, Nick Carrier. I believe the path to getting closer to the best version of yourself is different for all of us, but it follows the same framework. Our lives have six different areas, health, personal, career, financial, spiritual, and relational. And in order to get closer to the best version of ourselves, we wanna be managing all of those areas at all times, but also be spiking in one of them. If you wanna learn how to do exactly that, then check out my free Best You Planner and video course at nickcarrier.com slash best journey. Again, nickcarrier.com slash best journey. You guys are going to love what I've got in store for you today. Alan Stein Jr. is an experienced keynote speaker and author. And at his core, he's a performance coach with a passion for helping others change behaviors. He spent 15 plus years working with the highest performing basketball players on the planet, including NBA superstars Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Kobe Bryant. Through his customized programs, he transfers his unique expertise to maximize both individual and organizational performance. Alan also has a brand new book out called Sustain Your Game, High Performance Keys to Manage Stress, Avoid Stagnation, and Beat Burnout. Be sure you go order it on Amazon or go to sustainyourgamebook.com. Again, sustainyourgamebook.com. But before diving into the episode, be sure you're subscribing to The Best You Podcast on the Apple Podcast app, on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and be sure you share the episode with a friend while you're listening. All you have to do is send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, then I would love it if you leave a five-star rating and review. But without further ado, you guys, buckle your seatbelts. You're going to love this one. Here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only Alan Stein Jr. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast. I'm super fired up to be joined by the one and only Alan Stein Jr. Alan, I just want to start off by saying thanks so much for spending the time with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this for a while. We're going to have a fun conversation. Yeah, man, no doubt. No doubt. I'm excited about the energy. I feel like we've got from just watching a few of your videos and everything like that from you speaking, I feel like we've got relatively similar energies and passions as well. So I'm excited about the conversation. And so just real quickly to start off, everybody, he's coming out with a brand new book called Sustain Your Game. High performance keys to manage stress, avoid stagnation, and beat burnout. And it's available for pre-order right now at the time we're recording this, but it is going to be available for order by April 12th. So you guys need to make sure you grab it. I already added it to my uh, Amazon cart and got to get ready to uh, finalize that order. Uh, but the way I want to actually start with you today is get a little bit more background in regards to your story. So you played basketball at Elon, and then afterwards you kind of went right into becoming a strength and di- conditioning coach. And so my question to you is kind of at what point and why did you start to kind of stand out as a strength and conditioning coach? And, and when did you kind of start to realize like, oh, I can take this thing to the next level? Well, for context, basketball was my first identifiable passion. And I fell yeah. in love with the game at five years old. And, you know, kind of a side note, it's really neat that 40 years later, basketball is still a major pillar of my life and one of my driving passions. But having been 
in love with the game all the way up and playing in college, uh, I started to develop an equal affinity for strength and conditioning and fitness and nutrition and performance and mindset and started that towards the end of my high school career, but really became infatuated with all of those things during college. When it was very clear to me that my formal basketball playing days would be over when I graduated, I figured what could be better than marrying my original love of the game of basketball with my newfound love of strength, conditioning, and performance training. So it was just obvious to me, the only thing I even had any interest in pursuing was becoming a basketball performance coach. And I do remember vividly, you know, as a really young player, a mentor sharing with me some advice that I've carried with me to this day, and I share as often as I can. And that is find something you love, find something you're pretty good at, and then find where those two things intersect. And where those two things intersect, that will be your strength zone. And the more time you can live in your strength zone, the more fulfilled you'll feel and the higher you'll perform. So for me, I loved the game of basketball and I loved performance training. And I had a pretty decent knack for my ability to communicate and to coach and to pour into others and, and, and had a natural enthusiasm. So when you connected those two dots, they hit right on being a basketball performance coach. And that's what I did immediately out of college and did for the next 15 years of my life before I made the recent pivot of five years ago of deciding to go the corporate speaking route. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell me a little bit about when you first got introduced to maybe some of the, I think I feel like what got you into training some of these NBA players was when you got introduced to them as, as a few of them first when they were in high school. So tell me a little bit about how that all came about and how that kind of like turned into the working with more and more NBA players and things of that nature. So I was born and raised in a suburb of Washington, D.C., a city called Gaithersburg, Maryland, which is, happens to be where I live now. So when I was done my four and a half years at Elon, which is in North Carolina, I moved back to the D.C. area to pursue my performance training career. And for those that know high school basketball well, the greater D.C. area, which is called the DMV, stands for D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. So it's a pretty big region, but is, is probably one of the top five meccas for youth in high school basketball. So this area is really rich with talent. And there are two high schools in particular that were producing Division I players and future NBA players year after year. So I knew that if I had an opportunity to work at those schools, one, I would be able to hone my craft working with really elite level players, but two, it would open doors to other opportunities. And that's exactly what happened. In 2003, I started working at Montrose Christian, which is where Kevin Durant graduated from, a whole host of NBA players, but he's certainly the most notable and got a chance to work with that program, got to work for and learn from a Hall of Fame caliber coach named Stu Vetter, got to work with dozens and dozens of major D1 players and about a half a dozen players that ended up in the NBA. And after seven years of doing that, then I had an opportunity for a similar position at DeMatha Catholic High School, which is where Victor Oladipo, Quinn Cook, Markel Fultz, another host of NBA players went. And being a part of those two programs got me opportunities to do work for Nike basketball, for Jordan Brand, for USA basketball. And, and that was where I had an opportunity to work skills academies for guys like Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. So what I think makes my journey rather unique is that I got a chance to work with future NBA stars when they were 14, 15 years old. And I got to see what it took to climb to the top of that mountain. 
And then when I got to work events for, for Jordan brand and, and Nike basketball, I got to see the other side of the curtain of already established players like Kobe and LeBron and what it took for them to stay there and sustain excellence. So I've seen both what it takes to get there and what it takes to stay there. And while that was certainly through the lens of basketball, I'm able to take those universal principles and show folks how to apply them to any area of their life, whether it's personal development, whether it's business or organizational development. But I, I take the practical strategies and lessons that I learned from the game's best players, and I show folks how to apply those to their lives. And of course, the first step of that is applying those principles to my own life so that I can lead by example. Yeah, no doubt. And to give context to he has his two books has raised the game and sustained the game or sustained your game. And so, like he said, he saw people who were in high school became NBA athletes and how they were able to sustain that level of success as well. But again, you are the person I wanted to have on. And, and so I'm, I like learning from you, not just the people that you've learned from. And so obviously you got this opportunity to work with these high schools, right? And you got the opportunity to work with these future NBA stars. And then you got invited to work some of these camps. And obviously you were invited to work at some of these camps because you had something unique to bring to the table. You had something special to bring to the table. So what do you feel like that was that made you stand out over maybe some of the other strength and conditioning coaches that could have been invited that maybe didn't? Well, I don't know that I would, I don't like the term luck. Uh, I do. I like the term being fortunate or being in the right place at the right time. And that's purely connotation. But, you know, if, if someone wants to say that I was lucky, that they actually would, would be fairly accurate. One of the reasons that I was able to even get in the door in those areas where there were very few people that were doing basketball specific strength and conditioning at the time. I didn't have a lot of competition in the early 2000s, you know, 2002, 2003, no one was really doing this. I mean, strength and conditioning was very prominent in football, but not so much in some of the other sports and certainly not in basketball. So when I'm reaching out to these programs or then I'm getting introduced at Nike and Jordan, you know, this was very new to them. They're like, we, we didn't even realize that there were coaches that specialized in this. So like I said, I didn't really have much competition. It's kind of neat seeing fast forward 20 years to now where every single NBA team has an entire staff of people in the performance department, as does every major college program. So it's really, you know, escalated uh, heavily over the past 20 years. So part of it was, it was just the right time for me. You know, if, if I, if I was 20 years younger and I was just starting my career now, it would be much harder to have those same opportunities. So that was the part that I didn't have any control over. I just had very good fortune and I'm very thankful the part that I did have control over is I'm a relationship guy and I believe in relationships. I believe in investing in people and I built strong relationships with the players that I worked with, with the coaches that I worked with. You know, when I was introduced to someone at Nike or Jordan brand, you know, I took the time to build relationships with them. It wasn't about, hey, can I work your camp? It was more about, I want to get to know you, what your role is and how I might be of service to, to make your job or your life easier. And then be able to prove and show that I think adding this strength and conditioning component to your camp will actually add tremendous value. And it will be a separator between your camp and a lot of the other camps because the other camps aren't hiring strength and conditioning coaches. And, you know, but for the first few years, I mean, I, I can say with a smile, I was kind of just the warm up guy. Literally, all I did at camp was warm the players up for 10 minutes before they would practice. 
And that was it. And I would literally, I mean, I believe in trying to be of value at all times. So yeah, I would, I would, you know, if they needed me to fill water bottles, I'd fill water bottles. If they needed me to sweep the floor, I'd sweep the floor. If they needed me to rebound for players or jump in and set screens, like I would do anything they asked. But as far as what I was actually tasked with doing, it was like 20 minutes a day. And the rest of the time I spent learning my craft, making relationships, learning from coaches, observing the players, you know, working on how I can improve my drills by watching the players. So it was definitely a a very fertile time for growth. But I think if you combine the luck of being in the right place at the right time with my emphasis on building relationships and trying to do something different with basketball strength and conditioning, uh, having been a former player, you know, I knew that basketball players did not want to train like football players. They didn't want to train like, you know, Olympic weightlifters or bodybuilders. They wanted to do things that were specific to the game that would allow them to play at a higher level. And because I'd been a basketball player my whole life, I was able to translate that and figure out ways to add kind of cool drills that the players enjoyed. And if you put all of that together, that's kind of opened those doors up. But I'm also a believer that once you have a door open, then you've got to be pretty good at what you do, or they're going to have you leave through the same door that you entered. So, you know, I continue to really work on my craft and really try to pour as much into the people I was working for as I could. Yeah, no, I think that's so true. I love how you said, you know, you didn't have the biggest role right in the beginning, but you found ways to provide value. And that, you know, gives you a reputation of everybody who's watching you doing all these things. He's not asked to do all these things necessarily, but he's still finding a way to make himself valuable outside of just the 10 or 20 minute warm up, which I think is a huge lesson in and of itself because I think a lot of people will only do what they're asked to do rather than doing what they're not asked to do on their own. And so I think that's key. And, you know, to to that point, so, you know, when I look back on those early days, especially at some of those camps, technically after I did the warm up, I could have just gone back and sat in my hotel room and watched TV. I mean, you know, like I wasn't asked to do anything else, but that wasn't going to help me improve. That wasn't going to get me better at my craft. So I would spend time watching the drills that the players were doing. And as I'm watching a basketball drill, like a a skills intensive drill, then I was asking myself, all right, how can I improve the quality of a player's athleticism by mimicking some of the things they're doing in their drills? Like if, if these are what coaches need them to do, if here's some of the footwork patterns that they're being required to do in their skills, can I develop a agility drill that could help mimic that to improve that. And then I would sit in on every single team meeting or or meeting with the players. You know, I mean, I'm around some brilliant coaches. So not only am I trying to improve my strength and conditioning repertoire, I want to improve my communication, my ability to influence and connect with players. So I'm, I'm learning from coaches on, you know, how do they communicate? How do they demonstrate? You know, when do they raise their voice and when do they speak softly? You know, when do they really get into a player and when do they put their arm around them? How are they demanding without being demeaning and all of that stuff? So I was soaking it all up. So I was just as much a student as I was in this case, a coach. Things like that really speak to the importance of finding the intersection of point of what you said finding something that you're really passionate about and something, finding something that you're pretty good at. Because if you were not passionate about it, then you would have done the 20 minute warm up and then you would have left because you didn't have to be there. And that's how so many people are with what it is that they do. They do kind of the bare minimum because they don't really care about it that much. But when you care about something so much and are so passionate about something, your brain is rewired to look for different things to 
allow you to improve in whatever that whatever it is that you're doing or that you love. Absolutely. You're 100% right. And it's also about always looking for ways to add value. So one of yeah. the things that I did, you know, so at these camps, you know, you've got, you know, everything from really top Nike executives all the way down the line. You've got people that work in product. You've got people that that manage teams, like all sorts of different stuff. And as I started to become friends with some of them, then I'm like, hey, you know, uh, tomorrow morning, do you want to get in a workout with me? Like, I'll take you through a workout or on the lunch break, do you want to go through a workout? So it got to the point where, you know, I mean, I was working 15 hour days yeah. in theory when all I was asked to do was work for 20 minutes. And, and I wasn't doing that with any type of, hidden agenda. I was doing it because one, I, I loved it. Uh, but two, I figured what better way for me to strengthen a relationship? If I'm going to be here for four days, why don't I work out with some of these folks that I want to get to know better? I mean, you, you know, when you're working out with someone, you, yes, there's the physical component, but you're also getting to know each other on a mental yeah. and emotional level. You're having some deep conversations. And, you know, so then it got to the point where, you know, these guys liked having me around. They're like, geez, right. every time we go to these camps, we have a professional personal trainer taking us through workouts. And that helped also with some level of job security because every year they asked me back. I mean, I did these camps for like 10 straight years. And I know part of it was because, the decision makers liked having me around because they're like, Alan might only be the warm-up guy, but he he does all of the little things to help us. You know, like I said, he fills water bottles, he he sweeps the floor, he takes us through workouts, he's uh, he adds energy and enthusiasm to every single session. This guy is here from sun up to sundown when he doesn't need to be. That's the type of person that we want involved in our events. So being able to do that certainly increased the chance that I'd be asked back each and every year. And then the cool part was it goes from working the Nike one Nike skills Academy to working all of the Nike skills academies. And then, you know, there's a relationship between Jordan brand and Nike basketball. So then Jordan brand is like, well, why don't you do some stuff for us? So it, all of these things just kind of were interrelated, but it all starts with an intent to be of service and an intent to add value to other people, even when it's unexpected or it's not part of your job requirement. Boom. I think that's that's so valuable, and I hope people can start to brainstorm ways right now that in their life or in their job or in their relationships that they currently have, start to brainstorm of ways that, oh, I could actually provide value in this particular way that I'm not doing right now. Here's what I could do that I'm, I've, I've never been asked to do it, but I've kind of seen that maybe I should do it because they would appreciate it. And because I really think that one of the things that I say and really believe is that I think our character as human beings is, is so much more determined by doing things that we don't have to do than doing things that we do have to do. I, it's kind of like a goal of mine on a weekly basis or hopefully multiple times a week for people to say something to me like, you didn't have to do that. And I'm like, well, I know I didn't have to, but I think that's the character of a person is, is bigger because of that. But anyways, I want you to go over kind of quickly before we transition into sustain your game, talk a little bit about raise your game and some of the biggest principles that you learned from seeing people who were future NBA players in high school, then turn NBA players and some of the principles that you teach in, in raise your game. So the, the main impetus for writing raise your game was to show folks how to reach optimal performance in whatever it was that they were working towards, whether that was basketball or business or anything in between. And that book was very strategically written to cater to three different areas. One we would call the player or the individual. Uh, the second would be the coach or, or, or kind of, a, you know, a manager or a supervisor or an executive in business. 
And then the third would be the team uh, or the organization. And the most important foundational principle of Raise Your Game was a lesson I learned from Kobe Bryant the first time I saw him work out. And that is never get bored with the basics. Yeah. Uh, embrace the fundamentals. Embrace simplicity. And, and equally important is the understanding that just because something is basic, it doesn't mean that it's easy. Those are not standard. Mm-hmm. You know, people often use those words interchangeably, but they don't mean the same thing. I live by a handful of very basic principles, a handful of core values that I live by, none of which would confuse you or any of your listeners. Um, right. Implementing those things every single day is not easy. You know, you know, Kobe Bryant getting up at three in the morning to go do some basic footwork and offensive moves every single day of the offseason, even after he had already achieved Hall of Fame caliber status, you know, that's basic in principle. That is not easy to do. If it was easy, everyone else would be doing it. And, you know, I know you know and your listeners know we live in a society that's telling us we should always be looking for shortcuts and hacks and that we should always be chasing what's new and shiny and sexy. And and I understand the temptation of those things. But one thing I know for certain, uh, the basics work. They always have and they always will. That is never going to change. And when whatever you're trying to get better at, whether you're trying to become a better podcast host, uh, a better parent, a better entrepreneur, uh, or a better point guard, the foundation and the fundamentals working towards mastery of those is what will give you the best chance to be successful in any of those areas. So step one is figuring out what it is you want to be good at. Step two is figuring out what are the basics or the fundamentals of being good at this thing. And then step three is working towards mastery of those every single day. And, you know, I actually embrace that simplicity. I love that that formula is that basic, but it's definitely not easy to do. And uh, I recognize that difference. And I think because it's not easy to do is why folks are so easily tempted to find shortcuts and hacks. I mean, even just look at, at fitness, you know, something that's been a very important part of my life. I mean, generally speaking, if we just look at the basics, you just need to move your body progressively for a set period of time, most days of the week, using large body movements, and you need to eat fairly healthy and clean most of the time. Like, that's about it. If you just do those two things consistently, you know, I'm not saying you'll be an Olympic athlete, uh, and I'm not saying you'll be on the cover of men's health, but if you do those two things consistently, You'll be a fairly fit human being and and you'll be healthier. You'll have more energy, you know, long, you know, so that's basic principles. Now, obviously there's a million different ways to accomplish that. There's, there's thousands of different fitness programs and products and gyms and diet plans. I mean, you can get caught up in all of the minutia, but bottom line, move your body actively for a set period of time, most days of the week and eat pretty healthy food. That's it. And you're. And you're probably going to be 10 times better off than where you're currently at. 100%. Yeah. So that is that is basic. Think, think of a relationship. Give the other person your time and your attention to show them that they're important. <laughs> Learn to speak their language as far as what things are important to them and, and, and how do they like to be shown love and appreciation. Just do those two things and you'll probably have a pretty healthy relationship generally speaking. So I think we often make things way more complicated than they need to be. And and sometimes I think it's because that stuff is simple and someone's like, you know, there's no way that it could be that simple. And it's like, well, it is that basic, but it's not easy. There's nothing easy about moving your body every day and eating clean and healthy food. 
There's nothing easy when we all have a million things going on in our lives to give the people we care about most our full undivided attention to show them that we care. Those things are not easy to do. I I concur, but they are basic. Yeah, I think a lot of it, honestly, subconsciously with people with regards to overcomplicating some things. And, you know, you, you said there's no way it could be that simple, but it really is. I think a lot of people kind of subconsciously overcomplicate it to justify why they're not as successful as they could be in that particular area. They're like, I'm not healthy because I don't know the right diet to be eating. It's like, generally speaking, yeah, you do. <laughs> like, you know, you shouldn't be eating that pizza and hamburger. You know, you shouldn't, you know, you should probably eat a little bit more fruits and veggies and, and you know, healthy meat and stuff like that. And uh, same thing with fitness. It's like people are complaining about not being where they want to be because like, I don't really know what the right fitness plan is for me. It's like, how about you maybe go on a run? How about you do some push-ups? How about you do some sit-ups? Like keep it as simple as possible because most people are not looking to be on the cover of men's health. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just think about that. If and, and this is not by any means an exercise prescription, but if, if every day of your life, you went for a 30 to 40 minute, either walk or light jog or, or an intense run, depending on your fitness level. And you did, you know, a couple hundred jumping jacks and you did some lunges and some pushups and some pull-ups. Maybe it only takes you 20 minutes total to do those things, you know, a couple sets of each. And you did that three, four or five days of per week. You, you would have a decent level of fitness. Now, if you decide that you want to have an even higher level of fitness, you want to compete in something, or you're trying to look a certain way for something, then yeah, maybe those things need to be tweaked. But bottom line, going for a run, doing some push-ups, pull-ups, dips, and lunges, you'll be pretty decent. Same thing with food. You don't need to eat a meticulous diet. If most of what you eat is natural food. It's not, it's unprocessed. So, you know, you're, you're actually eating real food, fruits and veggies and grains and, and actually lean cuts of meat. And you do that most of the time, you'll, you'll be fairly healthy. There's no reason to make it more complicated. I mean, my favorite is, you know, and I don't know when this will air, we're recording it right before the sweet 16 of, of March madness. But when you break down the game of basketball, here's basketball at its, at its most foundational level on offense, we want our team to take the highest percentage shot possible. On defense, we want our opponent to take the lowest percentage shot possible. End of statement. That's it. If you can do those two things consistently, you will win almost every game you play. The reason you don't win is because your team starts taking low percentage shots. And why are they doing that? Sometimes it's out of selfishness. You know, there's a variety of reasons. Uh, why are we allowing the other team to score wide open layups and dunks? You know, so instead we reverse that. Now we're taking low percentage shots. They're taking high percentage shots. And that is a recipe that you will lose. So the game of basketball doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. Now there are nuances. What is the highest percentage shot the five of us can get this trip down the floor? There's definitely nuances to what that may be, but that's basketball in a nutshell. So don't make it any harder than that. Take great shots, make your opponent take bad shots. And mathematically, you will win almost every time you take the floor. Yeah, I want to. I want to hit this topic just with with one more question because I think it is super important. And one of the things I sometimes I post on my Instagram stories about my meals, and my meals are super basic. It's pretty boring, right? But I've used that quote before to kind of back myself up and justify what it is. It's like, look, not every meal has to be this fancy recipe that just is a huge party in your mouth. It's like. It doesn't have to be like that. 
Don't get bored with the basics. Be okay with it just being, you know, something super simple. And so my question is, is how can somebody not get bored with the basics? How can somebody who says, I get bored eating the same thing. I get bored doing the same sort of exercise. I get bored doing the basic basketball drills. How can you not get bored with the basics? I love where you're going with that. And that is difficult to do because very understandably and admittedly, many times the basics are mundane and they are monotonous and they're not necessarily sexy. You know, if, if you're basically saying, you know, every morning you're going to eat oatmeal and egg whites and every lunch, you're going to eat some brown rice and salmon. And every evening you're going to eat a salad and you do that every single day. I can certainly understand where boredom would come into play, but there's a few things to think about, you know, how do you feel when you are eating those things and how do you feel after look and feel, you know, because you might not enjoy that meal per se, but you enjoy the results of eating that meal. So I would say focus more on how those things make you feel a perfect example. I don't love running. You know, I I don't, it's not my favorite activity by any means, but especially over this pandemic, I've actually become a fairly decent long distance runner. I go for anywhere for six to 10 mile runs, three to four days a week. And I don't actually love the running part. Here's what I do love. I love being outside. I love listening to podcasts. So that's what I listen to when I choose to run. And I love how I feel when I'm done. When I, when I come back into my place and I am drenched in sweat and I, I literally have to lay a beach towel down on my couch because I'm so sweaty and I sit down, there's like a, an elation that I feel. I feel amazing having just done that. So the actual running is not my favorite part, but there are other parts of it that actually make it more enjoyable. You know, this might be really stupid, but so let's just say that you like eating brown rice and chicken every day for lunch. Maybe you find a cool spice that you can put on your chicken that makes it a little better or or a, a marinade that's still in line with your, your nutritional goals and beliefs that you can do it in. You know, maybe you switch it up and you try yellow rice and you figure that that's got the same nutritional value. So you can still change those things up. Uh, And you can also say, hey, you know, six days a week, this is my meal plan. And on the seventh day, I'm going to give myself a little bit of grace and I'm going to, you know, not go completely off the rails, but I'm going to eat some, you know, I'm going to eat some granola for breakfast. I'm going to eat, you know, maybe a piece of pizza for lunch and I'm going to do something different. So there's ways and each person just needs to figure that out using their own self-awareness, what works for them. Because I do believe that it's important to enjoy the ride and that it is important, you know, that if every single thing you do is monotonous, mundane, and miserable, it's really hard to sustain that. So find ways. And like I said, for me, listening to a podcast while I'm running, I'm so engrossed in listening and learning and being inspired by what I'm listening to. I don't even realize that I'm doing an activity that's not my favorite. So I think there are different ways that we can make the basics much more uh, palatable but then also keep in mind how do doing these things consistently make us feel? And, you know, I'm 46 years old. I'm in the best physical shape of my life. And that's not by accident. That is because that has been years of paying attention to the, the basics when it comes to fitness and nutrition. And I take a lot of pride in that. I like how I look. I like how I feel. So when I'm eating a rather bland meal, I don't focus on the meal. I focus on, hey, you're 46 and you actually look like you're in pretty good shape, old man. So, you know, there, there's different ways in, that, that you can approach that and embrace those things. Yeah, I think those few things that you hit on were super important in regards to like 
finding a way to make it more fun than it could be by, you know, listening to a podcast or, and, and then the other thing is focusing on the positives of the situation. So I'm not focusing on running, but I'm focusing on the good weather. I'm focusing on how it makes me feel. And then kind of that last part too is focus, focusing on like why you're actually doing it, the result that it's actually providing you and, and having it be rewarding based off of the result, not necessarily the fact that you don't enjoy what it is that you're actually doing. One other thought on that, you know, there's this kind of this concept of, of the compound effect, which also takes into play that if you just do a little bit of something every day, you get a big result. So going back to the Kobe example, he doesn't need to do basic footwork for three hours a day. Right. He does it for 15 to 20 minutes, but he does that every single day of the week. And that's where it starts to add up, you know, uh, and, and so whatever it is that you're trying to get good at, whatever skill, whether it's, it's coding on a computer or freehand drawing or even freestyle rapping, if you spend a little bit of time every single day working on your craft, those days add up. And that's the power of that compound effect. Uh, most yeah. people choose not to do it that way. They chose to go all in for one day and then they're completely burnt out on it and they don't feel like doing it for three or four more days and they, they can't, you know, get in any type of groove or consistency. So, you know, I know for me, some of the best workouts that I have, or at least the most rewarding workouts that I have are on the days I don't feel like working out. And yeah. I'm like, man, I really don't want to work out. I could easily skip this. I'll just go do 15 minutes. And even if I only do 15 minutes, the end of that 15 minutes, I'm so thankful I did it because I right, added right. a few more bricks to my wall and then you, you start to build up some momentum. Yeah. I think so much of, you know, you talked about doing 15 minutes of a rather than like three hours in one day, because like you said, it is something that you can repeat on a more consistent basis, on a more sustainable basis. And then your identity begins to change. You start to see yourself as somebody who dedicates the time to that particular task or to that particular routine very frequently instead of just doing three hours here and then three hours in a couple of weeks and three hours in a month after that. It's like you can't get in any kind of rhythm with that. And so uh, even if it's overall like the same amount of time, you get much more in a rhythm and you change your identity. I think there's just so much more power in, in doing it in that particular way. We'll be back to the interview in just a second. But first, I wanted to share a quick testimonial from a past participant of the 10-week transformation program. I started running the 10WT in the beginning of 2020 and I've had over 150 people on counting go through it and they've seen amazing results both inside and out. If you're inspired to join after listening to the testimonial, then go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. We'll get back to the episode in just a minute, but first, here's what they had to say. Hey, I'm Bo. The reason I joined the program was to kind of get on track. I just turned 40, hard COVID year, right? I just started a lot of bad uh, habits. I was working out some, but really uh, COVID had affected that. And so I just needed a direction and I didn't really have one. So this really gave me, well, I've done the program two times. I lost about 20 pounds. I've got um, just much healthier habits. Next program gives you a platform to change. Also gives you a way going forward, you know, so you can really keep those habits and really build a lifestyle and a healthy life around it for the long term. You should join Nick's 10-week program. You know, I'm, I'm loving this conversation and you probably had a much better segue to the book that I'm going to present 
but think about the, 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 the process of writing a book, you know, yeah. the book you, you referenced, sustain your game. It's coming out April 12th. You know, that wasn't something I wrote in a day or in a week, you know, that takes nine to 10 to 12 months of constantly researching, writing, editing, revising, moving stuff around. And it's a process, but I'm like, Hey, if every day I can devote anywhere from 15 minutes to two to three hours, depending on what needs to be done because of certain deadlines, and you just start working on those things, then over time you kind of have the the finished product, but that's all by, by focusing on the process, focusing on the basics of what it takes to accomplish something and just doing a little bit each day. There's, there's so much power in that. And I think we often forget that. And it's, especially when you get started, one of the reasons I think that's challenging is when someone gets started and they get really excited. So someone decides, Hey, you know, I've, I've been rather lazy and apathetic. I really want to start working out again. And they kind of jump in with two feet and, you know, they buy a Peloton bike, they throw out all of their food and they hire a nutritionist. They start, you know, like they make a million different changes and that's just not sustainable when it'd be a much better approach to say, you know what, over the last few months, I have not been as physically active as I I believe I should have starting tomorrow morning. I'm going to go for a 30 minute walk. That's it. I'm not changing anything else in my life, but tomorrow I'm going to go for a 30 minute walk. And then the next day, I'm going to go for a 30-minute walk. And let me start to string some days together. And, and then eventually say, when I get back from my 30-minute walk, uh, instead of eating a bowl of Fruit Loops or a Pop-Tart, you know, I'm going to eat some egg whites and oatmeal or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and now you start to stack those two things on top of each other. So you know, I used to start my day by scrolling through Facebook and eating Fruit Loops. Now I start my day by going for a 30-minute walk and eating some oatmeal and egg whites like you, you start doing that consistently, it will completely change you. It'll change you physically, obviously, but it will change you mentally and emotionally as well. And it's it's just making these small tweaks and changes. And then yeah. a year from now, maybe you stacked a whole bunch of habits on top of that. You know, right. you love how you feel in the morning, and you carry that over to lunchtime. And lunchtime, you do a, a ten minute meditation and you eat a salmon salad as opposed to what you were doing before. And then next thing you know, a year later. You've built a day and a morning and evening routine that is taking you closer to the person that you want to be, but you didn't do it in one fell swoop. You did it by tightening a series of screws consistently, yeah. and that's how you can get there. And, and I, I know firsthand experience that's worked in so many different areas of my life. Yeah. It's just anytime somebody tries to implement something new, it comes with unexpected challenges or unexpected things that come up. And so in the beginning, when you think like, I'm going to do all these things, you don't see those unexpected challenges. And so you have an unrealistic expectation of what you're willing and able to sacrifice. And then when you actually do it, you realize like, oh, there's so many things that this is taking away from in other areas of my life. And and so that's a lot of people can't sustain it. Anyways, I want to go into sustain your game a little bit before we run out of time. Uh, I know that in sustain your game, you really one of the things you say is you teach from the timeline of short-term to medium-term to long-term. And because we're always battling these three things, stress in the now, stagnation in the present, and then burnout in the long-term. The one one I want to hit on right now is kind of managing stress in the now, because obviously everybody can relate to having stress in the now while they're listening to this. What are some different tactics that people who have reached a level of success due to help manage their stress now so that it doesn't overwhelm them? 
if I had to give you a definition of stress, I'm going to steal something from a, a gentleman named Eckhart Tolle, who's kind of a, a philosopher of sorts. And he basically says, stress is wanting things to be different than they are in the present moment. And that's, mm. I, I, for some reason, that really, really resonates with me. You're sitting in traffic and you're feeling super stressed out. Well, you're stressed out because you're wishing that you weren't sitting in traffic. You were wishing that and hoping that those cars in front of you would get out of the way so you'd have clear sailing. So it's wishing for things to be different than they are, which means you're kind of fighting against the universe because none of us are in control of what's going on in the world. And if whatever's going on in the world is not to your liking and that's what's causing your stress, then that would mean the recipe for overcoming stress is a level of acceptance, is being able to say, I don't control that these cars are in front of me moving at a snail's pace, and I'm okay with that. Now, this doesn't mean I like it. This doesn't mean it's my preference. I would much rather be doing 70 miles an hour than, than sitting in this gridlock, but I don't control it, and, and nor can I, so I'm not going to let that adversely affect my mindset and how I feel and my stress level. So I'm just going to accept the fact that I'm in traffic. So maybe I turn on a podcast or maybe I decide to make a few phone calls while I'm sitting there. Maybe I just enjoy the stillness and the silence, but I don't let it increase my stress. And, and obviously, you know, we have a stress response. So then there's all sorts of, of chemicals and hormones that flood our body, uh, none of which are good for us. So stress can have a very debilitating impact on our lives. But for me, it just starts with just a general acceptance. Yeah, what's going on is not my preference but I'm okay with it. You know, I'm in the present moment. That's the other part that I think is really helpful in battling stress is just learning how to focus on the moment, not getting distracted by the past or previous experiences, not trying to project into the future or get anxious, but just living in the present moment. And there's only so much stress that it can occur in any one present moment. Uh, that gets magnified when we start pulling our baggage from the past and we start projecting things to the future. And if you can just simply accept what is, be okay with what's happening right now, even if it's not your preference, and take a deep breath, it will allow you to, to manage stress in the moment uh, much, much more effectively. Yeah. I tell you what, that definition hit me like crazy as well. Stress is wanting things to be different than they are in the present moment. And one of the things that I thought about that you kind of touched on was, yeah, maybe things aren't as I want them right now, but they can be different tomorrow. And so I think a lot of times one of the things that can alleviate stress is this internal locus of control. If you feel like you do have some sort of scope of control over changing your outcomes tomorrow compared to what they are today, I think like if people can realize that and be like, okay, like I'm, I'm accepting of it now because it is what it is and I can't do anything. Everything that I've done in the past has led me to here, but I can still do something about it so that tomorrow, next week, next month, things are different. And that can, I think for me personally, I never, I feel like I never use the word stress and I haven't really ever known why I don't use the word stress or why I don't really necessarily feel like I feel that emotion. And I think it's because of that. I feel like I do have that internal locus of control a lot. And so I feel like that's the reason why I don't experience that as much. Well, well, to me, no, I love everything that you're saying. And that's why it's incredibly, to me, it's empowering and it's liberating First of all, relinquishing the fact that I don't have to control the universe. Like that's yeah, not up yeah. to me. So I'm good with that. All I have to control is my effort and my attitude and how I respond to what's going on. And even when things 
aren't to my preference or situations or circumstances or what people say or what people do are not in alignment with what my preference would be, can I choose a response to that that still moves me forward? Because I'm the one that's in control. And, and it's all about perspective. It's been my experience that very few people get stressed out over facts. What right. we get stressed out of is our perspective and our perception of mm-hmm. the world around us. Um, a perfect example. I mean, as we're recording this, we are in the heels of a two-year global pandemic. Uh, I can, And I won't name these people, but I can think of people right now that believe this pandemic was the absolute worst thing to ever happen to humanity. And I also know some people that think this was the best thing to ever happen to humanity. Not, And certainly the people that think that they're not devaluing the lives that were lost. I just mean they believe the pandemic got them to refocus the lens on what was truly important. And they started making changes in their life and they're now better for it. So the pandemic was a conduit to them making life changes. Some of those were geographic moves to other places. Some of those were more of an emphasis on family time and self-care. But to some people, the pandemic was a blessing. So you're talking about one event, but two completely polarized views of it. And you said something before, and I'm, I'm going to respectfully challenge the, 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 the way that you said it, because you said a very popular phrase, and that is, it is what it is. And here's what I would challenge to that very respectfully. It's not what it is. It's whatever you perceive it to be. So when someone says, you know, the pandemic is what it is. I don't believe that to be true. I think the pandemic is whatever you perceive it to be. You get to create your own truth. You and only you decide whether or not something that happens with the pandemic is happening for you or it's happening to you. No one else gets to decide that but you. And there are a lot of people that choose the victim mentality and choose to think that everything bad is happening to them when other people say, yeah, that was pretty adverse. That was pretty challenging. But boy, it opened up an opportunity for me to do this, or it taught me something about myself that's going to allow me to grow and to mature. So yeah, I can dwell on the adversity part, or I can dwell on the fact that it created an opportunity. So, and I'm certainly not picking on you for saying no, it, is no. what it is, but that's it's something I hear all the time. And and that's my belief. It's not, it isn't what it is, it's what you believe that it is. And that belief is what's so so powerful. So for me, you know, I don't really worry about circumstances or events. Don't really worry about what people say or what people do. I just focus on it. And I love that you talk about locus of control. What is my response to this going to be? And I'm the only one that has the keys to the car when it comes to that, as long as I don't give my power away. And as long as, you know, I don't feel like I'm a a puppet to the world, how you feel about yourself or your mindset and your attitude, if they're always contingent on circumstance, then that basically means you are a victim to whatever happens in the world. And most people live their lives that way. The average human being is in a good mood when things in their life are going well, and they're in a bad mood when things in their life are not going well. And I've been on that roller coaster. You know, I'm not speaking on any of this stuff from a place of mastery. This is all stuff that I'm still working on myself. So I have nothing but empathy and compassion for people that do that. But I do not want to live my life where how I feel is based on the outside world. I want to, I want my inner world to dictate that. Now, if you ask me, would I prefer that the sun is shining or would I prefer that it's raining? I would prefer that the sun is shining. But if it rains, it ain't going to ruin my day. 
And it's definitely not going to, you know, sabotage my productivity. And it's definitely not going to alter how I treat people. How I'm showing up right now for this podcast has nothing to do with the weather or anything else going on in the world. I respect you and I respect your listeners. And I'm here to offer as much value as I can in our time together. That is it. It doesn't matter what else is going on in the world or what else is going on in my life. I owe it to you and your listeners to show up as best you. And and that's what I do. That's what a professional does. And uh, I won't let anything interfere with that. And talk about something that's basic and premise, but is not easy to do because as human beings, we are very emotional creatures. And something else that really hit me between the eyes, and I hope you find this helpful as do your listeners, a friend of mine who's the mental performance coach for the San Francisco Giants in Major League Baseball said, our emotions are designed to inform us they're not designed to direct us. And boy, did that resonate. Like the, the hairs on my neck stand up even saying that to you right now, which means it's okay to feel a wide variety of emotions. There's nothing wrong with feeling angry, disappointed, jealous, frustrated. Those are human emotions. Where we run into trouble is if we let those emotions dictate our behavior, dictate our mindset make us pessimistic and cynical. So if I had a bad morning this morning and I come on your podcast less than my best self and I'm cranky and I'm not offering much value, that's not a way to lead a life. And it's certainly not a way to to be a leader or an influencer in general. So for me, I accept and acknowledge all emotions that I feel and I feel a wide range of them. I never suppress them. I never resist them. I don't ignore them but I don't allow them to dictate my behavior. I want to show up as my best self as consistently as I can, no matter how I'm feeling. Yeah, man, that was all gold. There was so much in there that, and I think that last part, you know, the, our emotions are not designed to inform us. They're designed to direct us. It's a call to not let your emotions dictate how you're going to always show up. But it's also a call to when some negative emotions do come up, like let it inform you learn from it, figure out, figure out what it is that made you actually have and, and experience that negative emotion. But, and I love it. It is what you perceive it to be all those other things. I mean, that was, that was just gold, but I want to make sure I, I get you out of here on time. Well, let so, me uh, add one I'll, more point to that if you don't mind, cause I'm, I am, yeah. I'm, I appreciate your respective time, but I'm, I'm loving this conversation. When you feel a certain emotion, once again, you can look at that as kind of a gift because it's an alert or a trigger to something that that's not sitting right with you. So if I find myself feeling really angry or upset, let's just pretend you said something right now that rubbed me the wrong way. Instead of casting blame or judgment on you, which does nothing, what I would do is look internally and go, okay, Nick just said something that really, really irritated me. Why did he irritate me? Literally words just came out of his mouth in a certain order. Why is that having an impact on how I feel right now? There's got to be something deeper to that. And and then maybe in this hypothetical example, I'm like, okay, well, I took what he said as being disrespectful to me. And, And then I dig a little deeper and go, okay, well, I've got kind of an issue with disrespect from some baggage of the past. And there were times where I was disrespected as a child and it really, really hurt my feelings and it made me feel unworthy and less than. So ultimately, all you did was say something, but it conjured up some baggage and some trauma that I had from the past that really made me feel bad and made me feel unworthy. And that's what triggered the emotional response of being angry or upset. But but ultimately, that's a gift. So you saying that, all that did was, was set off a fire alarm that allowed me to realize 
I haven't completely resolved this trauma as a child of feeling disrespected. I still have some area to grow. I still have something unresolved that I need to work on because I don't ever want what someone says to have an effect on my mindset or my perspective or my attitude or my mood. And that's the part that I, I find fascinating. So for me, that's kind of the process. If you said something that rubbed me the wrong way, I would sit with that and go, okay, why is that bothering me so much? Regardless of his intent, whether he said it accidentally or he, right. he said it intentionally to hurt me, why is it bothering me? Because technically I just gave my power away to Nick. I gave him the power to make me upset by what he said. And I don't ever want to give my power away. So let me dig a little deeper, figure that out. I know it's very cliche and people say it all the time. It's, it's not win and lose, it's win and learn, but it's still applicable. Now it's like, hey, when things are going great, that's wonderful. When things aren't going great or something triggers me, it's still an opportunity to grow as a human being and to learn something about myself so that in the future, when someone says something very similar, it won't have the same effect because now I've started to resolve that. And say, okay, it's not my preference to feel disrespected, but I don't think Nick did that intentionally. He just said something that triggered something inside of me, and I don't, I don't want to give my power away. So I'm, I'm going to find a way to use that information to direct my behavior moving forward. And to me, that is the most liberating and empowering mindset you can have. That every time something adverse happens, there's an opportunity, and every time someone says or does something that ruffles your feathers. It's another opportunity for you to kind of grow and mature and build from that. So no matter what happens in the world, which we've already established, we don't control. I actually believe it's to my benefit. The things yeah. that go in my favor, obviously, are to my benefit. And the things that don't are the conduit to growth. So it's still, in a, in a way, circular and is to my benefit anyway. So no matter what happens in the world, I don't mean that to sound callous or casual. I know there are massive things that go on. You know, people have lost loved ones in this pandemic. People have been furloughed or lost jobs. People have gone bankrupt. And I'm not saying that those are easy things to, to overcome, but there's still opportunity in each of those things to learn something about yourself and to grow from it. And, and if you look hard enough for those things, then you're always sharpening your own sword. And while those things are not easy, and some days I do a really good job of this, Nick, and other days I don't do a great job of this. Other days I, you know, I have setbacks. I have little minor pity parties for myself. You know, I have woe is me. You know, I, I occasionally, very rarely now, but we'll, we'll blame, complain, or make an excuse about something. But the path that I'm on now is I do all of those things a lot less frequently than I used to. So I'm, I'm on the right path. And, and hopefully that puts a nice bow tie on everything we've talked about is I'm not real concerned with perfection. I'm much more interested in progress and I'm not that concerned with where I am at the moment. I'm much more concerned with the direction that I'm heading and I'm heading towards becoming a more peaceful, aware and involved human being and, and evolves, not involved, evolved human being. And, and I like that path that I'm on. I'm very, very grateful for that. That's great. That's awesome stuff, Alan. Appreciate you staying a little bit longer and sharing that. I think, like you said, that whole internal process is such an important thing to go through because I mean, you're almost like being your own therapist. You're trying to get down to what is the crap that is bringing that emotion up in the first place. And I think that's super key. And then, like you said, right there at the end, it's not like you're perfect at it now and you still have the episodes less frequently, but also for shorter periods of time, probably. Like, I think the more that you work on this, 
the more quickly you catch yourself doing those things and, and falling into that trap and you're able to realize it a little bit more quickly and you realize how to get out of it a little bit more quickly as well. Cause I know I've um, experienced some of that myself. I went and saw a therapist every week for over two years. So a lot of this stems from that, but then what it also does is, is I have a massive thirst for personal development. So I'm always devouring, uh, reading, watching, and listening to, to stuff. And I just look at this as, as an ever evolving process. I don't think the game of life is one that you can master. I mean, I I think it's, I'm going to be on this path forever and the awareness is key. So I acknowledge when I'm not my best self, I acknowledge when I do, you know, have a little pity party or I blame, complain, or make an excuse. I acknowledge when I'm in a low mood and I don't beat myself up for those things. I don't add shame or guilt on top of it to make those things even worse and press me down. I acknowledge the fact that I'm human. I'm fallible. I make mistakes. I occasionally exercise poor judgment, but I try to learn from those circumstances I own them, have an attitude of extreme ownership. When appropriate, I'll apologize if need be, but I learn from those things. And, and I can say, hey, you know, I, I got in a little tiff with someone earlier today that was not my best self. I'm going to learn from that. Or Nick said something today that really irritated me. And I need to figure out why did that bother me so much? You know, he, he just said something rather innocuous and he wasn't even trying to get me riled up. There's something unresolved inside of me that I really need to dig deeper with. So all of these are just opportunities and, and life gives us no shortage of repetitions that we get to practice. <laughs> and I'm a huge believer in, in reps. I mean, I do believe, you know, repetition is not a form of punishment. Repetition is the oldest and most effective form of learning and skill acquisition on the planet. So every single day, things are going to happen and I'm going to talk to people that are going to test me. And I appreciate that because it gives me a chance to grow and it gives me a chance to sharpen my sword. I love it. Well, before I ask the last question, I want to acknowledge you for not allowing negative things that come up to impact the way that you show up on a regular basis. And I just want to acknowledge you for all the work that you've done on yourself to always look to provide value to people because of the passion that you bring to everything that you do and to always be of service to other people. I think that's very apparent with how other people have lifted you up along your journey. And it's been very apparent with, with all your work. So I just appreciate and acknowledge you for all that. Well, I want to, I know everybody's going to be fired up by the end of this episode and hopefully you guys took some notes, but make sure you guys go pre-order or order the book, depending on when you're listening, sustainyourgamebook.com. You can also follow him on Instagram at Alan Stein Jr. and his website, alansteinjr.com as well. Any other great place that people should go learn more about you and connect with you? Once. No, I appreciate that very much. And uh, I do love engaging and, and, and talking with folks. So if anything in this conversation resonated with someone, whether it's something you agree with or something you'd fundamentally like to debate, uh, feel free to shoot me a DM on Instagram. Uh, if you did like the main premise of this conversation, then I do think you would enjoy both Raise Your Game and Sustain Your Game. And I hope that anyone listening enjoys reading those as much as I enjoyed writing them. Yeah, I know everybody enjoyed listening and I hope you guys wrote down some of those really good quotes and some of the tidbits that that he shared today. I know that I did and they'll probably be on the show notes as well. But last question here, Alan, is I think that getting closer to the best version of ourselves is a constant journey. I don't think we ever get to that best version. Like you said, we never master this game of life. We're always constantly working towards the best version of ourselves. And I also believe it's a unique journey. I think the way that I'm going to get closer to the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get closer to the best version of yourself. So last question is for you personally, 
if there are three things that you could currently do or three things that you could currently work on to get closer to the best version of yourself, to get closer to the best version of Alan Stein Jr. that you could possibly be, then what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? They're all things that I'm currently aware of and I am currently working on, but I'm far from mastery. The first is becoming a more patient person. And I've got children, which has certainly been a, a master test with patients. You get in, you get in your repetitions, right? Yeah, absolutely. Getting in my reps every single day. But, you know, I, I tend to want things immediately. I, I have a history of, of, yeah, of impatience and, and I'm trying to get better at that. You know, it's, it's that old story of the tortoise and the hare. I've basically been the hare my entire life, you know, going hundred miles an hour, won everything yesterday. And I'm trying to slow down and embrace being the turtle and, and realize that I'm playing the long game. Barring something unforeseen or unexpected, I don't see any reason why I won't live to be hundred years old because I take really good care of myself. So I'm 46 right now. So I'm not even at halftime yet. So I, I got some time and, and I've had a wonderful first 46 years. Uh, I want to make sure the next 46 years are just as fulfilling. And part of that will be uh, embracing patience. Another thing that I'm currently working on is being less judgmental, is realizing that people are going to do and say things that I might fundamentally disagree with, but I don't want to judge them for doing those things because all I'm seeing is a very small snapshot. It's very rare that we see the entire context of why someone does what they do or say what they say. We have no idea that the journey they've been on, how they were raised, where they were raised, who their friends are, what they read, watch, or listen to. So instead of judging people, uh, I'm trying to get better at leaning in with curiosity and compassion. Uh, once again, in this completely fictitious hypothetical, because you've been so delightful to speak with, if you said something right now that I just thought was completely off the wall, Instead of making assumptions and, and judging you for that, I'd want to lean in with curiosity and go, okay, Nick seems like a relatively intelligent person. He believes something that fundamentally is a, an opposition to what I believe. Instead of fighting him on that, I want to learn more about it. Like, Nick, why, do you, why did you just say what you said? I'm so curious. What makes you feel that way? Why do you believe that? You know, what, what do you read, watch, or listen to that you think has influenced your perspective that makes you believe that. And instead of using it as something to make us divide and, and fight against each other, I actually would use that as something to draw us closer and connect and say, I'm just, I'm really curious by that. So trying to be, be less judgmental. Those are the two. I know that you ask for three, but impatience and being judgmental are the two things that I'm most cognizant of at present. Awesome. Well, those are two great things and definitely something that we all need to uh, continue to work on and continue to uh, try to get as close to mastery as as possible. But and like you said, progress over perfection. But Alan, absolute joy having you on today. I know everybody was fired up by today's conversation. Y'all make sure you go get Sustain Your Game at sustainyourgamebook.com. You're going to absolutely love it. I'm excited to get it as well. But other than that, that's all we got today. Appreciate your time, Alan. Likewise, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. That episode was fire. I mean, Alan brought the freaking heat during that. So much wisdom, so much motivation. And I know you got fired up listening to that one. So be sure you share the episode with a friend and family member by sending them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And be sure you go grab a copy of Alan's new book called Sustain Your Game at sustainyourgamebook.com. And remember, never get bored with the basics because keeping it simple is key. 
And remember, just because something is basic or simple doesn't mean it's easy. And remember that stress is wanting things to be different than they are in the present moment. And in order to alleviate or manage that stress, realize that oftentimes you have no control over what it is that's stressing you out in the moment and be accepting of that. But also realize that you have the ability to change your outcomes and where you are today doesn't have to be where you are tomorrow. And last but certainly not least, remember that our emotions are designed to inform us, not direct us. Learn from them. Don't let them dictate how you show up in the world. These are some critical and key principles that Alan shared today. Sure, maybe they're not revolutionary. Maybe you've heard some of these things before, but it's not revolutionary that creates success. It's obsession over the basics. And that's what I need to do. That's what Alan needs to do. And that's what you need to do to continue to get closer and closer to your best you.